Welcome to Third Eye Science. I'm your host, Susan Von Toon, and in this podcast, we'll explore the lines between science and spirituality. As a scientist and a yogi, I've found that these two realms do not have to be mutually exclusive. With the mind of a logical scientist, I've navigated my own spiritual journey with a curious and open mind. I'll share lessons and tools that I've found along the way and have compelling conversations with spiritual leaders, teachers, yogis, and fellow travelers about their experiences and practices. In this age of information and misinformation, it's time to interpret and understand the world with your third eye. Welcome to Third Eye Science Podcast. Um, I am here with my friend, Dalaram Reistana. <laughs> She's also known as Bella. She's a, an acupuncturist, a holistic, a functional medicine, and then also she does holistic nutrition. And we're going to talk about some really interesting parts of her story. Um, so welcome, Bella. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be on here. Yay. Thank you for doing this. Um, Okay, so let's just dive right in and start with, um, so you live, first of all, you you live and work in Orange County. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So we're in, what city are we in? We're in Costa Mesa. (laughs) Yes, we're in Costa Mesa on the border of um, Newport Beach and Costa Mesa. Yeah. Yeah, very close to um, one of our major malls, which is the South Coast. Uh huh. And so, and you grew up here? I did, yeah. So, I've been living in Orange County since I was probably five years old. So, yeah, I definitely grew up all around, all over Orange County, mainly Laguna area. Okay. And were you were before that, were you in Southern California? No, actually, I was born in another state. I'm almost uh, hesitant to share what state, but. But I think it's actually, it's a very interesting story. So I was born in Wichita, Kansas. Oh. And um, my mom didn't like the snow. And, you know, being Persian, being from the yes. Middle East, she's like, she was not prepared for the type of weather and, um, and you know, transitions of getting out of that type of weather. So yeah. she was like, we're, we're decking out. We're going back. Well, what brought, what, so when did your parents immigrate to the U.S.? Well, my my dad came really early. He okay. came in 1968. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he came in 1968. My mom came just shy of the, the revolution, the Iranian mm. revolution. So she came in 1978. Okay. Yeah, so she came right before. She was visiting her sister uh-huh. um, along with um, my uncle, her brother. And then they just decided, like, no, this is the place that we need a, to stay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then your parents met in where were they well they knew each other from iran okay but they they met yeah they reconnected in the u.s in the u.s yeah. and then and then got married and had kids do you have siblings too? i have one brother uh-huh. yeah he's two years younger than me okay yeah and and so what brought them to can wichita so i okay so i had an uncle 
who was studying engineering in San Francisco, but I, it, this was like in the 1950s or 60s. Uh-huh. Um, I think it was 1960s, yeah. And it got too expensive for him. So he heard that there was cheaper parts of the United States that uh-huh. you could make a living. Yeah. And I believe like on part of a school scholarship, I, I don't remember the exact details, but he moved to Wichita. And so my dad and his brother were traveling from Iran through Europe. They were in Germany. And then they found out that their other brother was living in Kansas. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that's how they're like, okay, we'll go. And so they right. ended up landing oh, over wow. there. Um, they, yeah. And so it worked out well for them. Yeah. I, just, I recall my dad having stories where... Um, I guess, like, back in the 19, like, early 1970s, um, the minimum wage there was obviously a lot lower than New York. Uh-huh. So what my dad used to do was in the summertime, he would move to New York and work as a dishwash dishwasher in a Greek restaurant. Oh, wow. Um, make all of his money and then come back to Wichita. And, uh, and live cheaply. Leave, yeah, yeah more f- yeah. budget friendly and wow. then go to school over there yeah and finish his degree and so then your parents were able to move to southern california and that yeah. must have been a pretty big transition but was your mother really happy oh yeah she this? was yeah she was in california prior to kansas okay so she knew that this was where she the, the real yeah. home yeah. yeah the real place so then what was it like growing up in this cultural you know in a family you're an american yes Born in but you have Persian parents. I'm sure there is like a push-pull with how that is. And also just in framing it in a spiritual context. Like, oh, did, they have, did they have spiritual beliefs? And what was that like? Yeah, so very interesting. I did grow up in a very, I would say, I would say my grandmother, because she, she was often in my home. She would mm. come back and forth between Iran and the United States every And stay months. for months or months. Yeah. yeah. And so she would um she would essentially just be at our home. Right. So the reason I'm bringing her up is because she was a very spiritual being. Uh-huh. She was, although she was Muslim and but she loved all religions. She believed in angels. She believed in the other realm. Uh-huh. Um she had just all these like really beautiful practices and now that I when I look back at her life I was like wow she was literally an angelic being living on this human plane oh yeah and um I just got chills from that so amazing yeah but um yeah my parents so my parents I was very fortunate in the fact that my parents weren't traditional Persian parents oh they weren't strict as in most Middle Eastern cultural Um, practices or lifestyles like they weren't didn't practice Islam that much my dad would pray here and there they would they would go to events you know or they would um, honor certain practices Mm. and holidays right um and they they were were, maybe a part of the community or a little well actually a lot of the the people that um, a lot of my family's friends uh-huh. And um, people we knew, they weren't that religious either. So oh, okay. actually, a lot of the, the Iranian and the Persian community that mm-hmm. left Iran, they, um, I, I can't say for all of them, but a majority of them 
didn't jive with a lot of the practices that were starting to happen over right. there. So, because if you um, imagine prior to the revolution, um, the Shah was very influenced by France. Mm. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of the cultural nuances of France and Paris oh, in Iran. Uh-huh. Um, so they I mean they had discotheques, uh-huh. they um, they had parties, they had such like everything was very exuberant. Hmm. And then it got dimmed all of a sudden. Right. So a lot of those exuberant people, people right. are now reside in Southern California, New York, um, yeah. Texas, wherever. Uh, anywhere they could find. Yeah. Austra- they're in Australia. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So so then would you say what was what were you like as a kid? So for me, um, I, okay, I, this is so funny. I met a man yesterday at the coffee shop, and we started having this conversation. I, and I shared with him. So when I was about six or seven, I knew that I, I had some, I, like now I can look back, I had gifts. I was uh-huh. highly intuitive. Okay. Um, I wasn't your average uh, <laughs> kid. Right. Um, I think part of it is, and I, I, you know, looking back and going through whole the, the meditation process and everything. When I, so in my family, and this isn't anything that's wrong with them. I think in a lot of cultures, um, they don't want to reveal. They're not transparent. Mm-hmm. So I, as a kid, I had to always read between the lines. Uh, I had and you to, got really good at it. Super good. At it. Yeah. And I, I had to be very um, use discernment often mm-hmm. um i often had to um observe people's body languages and then as time went I, I started to realize the body language was really me seeing and feeling their souls mm. feeling their energy so when did you realize that not till much later or even when you were a kid when i was a kid i would just call it like i like when i was a kid i didn't have a word for it okay But you knew you were relating to them in a way that other people weren't. Right. Okay. Because I knew, this is the other thing. When I was a kid, this is what I also knew. I had a special connection with animals. Hmm. Um, Animals that were usually perceived mean were always really nice around me. Or, um, for example, you know, people would share like my aunt or my um, uncles. They'll be like, oh, that dog's not normally like that. Yeah. That okay. sort of thing. And that's, like, back then when you're a kid, the only thing is you you know, that person is a liar, that person is not a liar. All right. So it was like, I knew truth. So that was right. like, and then I also knew that um, I was being trusted. But of course, I didn't have the word being trusted. I just knew that animals and certain things were nice to me. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so then... Were you, when you were in school, were you, did you want to go into like the medical professions? Were your parents encouraging you to become a doctor? And is that how you wound up as a healer? Actually, this is funny. My, okay, so my dad, like, I always share this. My dad and mom weren't the typical, like I shared, they're not the typical, they weren't like, in the Persian culture, typically, you have three options. Uh Uh-huh. Three. Right. Everything else, you're considered a deadbeat. Right. And, or not a deadbeat, but you're, like, not uh, successful. So the, the three options you have is either you're an engineer. Okay. An attorney or a doctor. Right. Right. 
So my dad, um, he said, um, God rest his soul, he passed away three years now, okay. about three years ago. Um, he just said, whatever makes you happy. Hmm. He was always just, he was really in that space of just what, because I think he saw that that was like the most potent, most important thing in one's life. Yeah. That he knew that it, did, it didn't make or break. I mean, of course he would be like, it would be nice if you can... Be a be doctor. <laughs> but be happy. Right? Okay. Um, my mom, I guess... So my mom wasn't exactly like my dad. So she wasn't like, be a doctor, be right. this, be that. But she wasn't like, be happy. <laughs> like, she wanted you to be successful. Success. Like, yeah. <laughs> she wanted to make sure that I had a home. Right. That I wasn't going to be on the streets or right. something. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so this is actually interesting how... I okay, I was pre-dental, so I my background oh. is was pre-dental. I was a bio major with. I was almost going to a chem minor. Uh huh. Um, I didn't take P chem. Uh-huh. That's why I didn't get my chem minor. That was the uh, only thing that held me back. And what? Because you were intimidated by it. I was. Okay. And not only that, but you know, when you're 22 years old and you have a summer vacation, yes. and you know that's your only class, you <laughs> you're thinking, do I really need a chem minor? I'm right. going to get into dental school, yeah. anyways, or something. Yeah. So. Um, and were you always good at science? Like. Is that something, because that's something that we have in common, that this scientific background. And, you know, I think that a lot of people think they want to do something that they don't think of as science and math, but really then they try it and they try the classes and they just can't, they don't love the the really hardcore science classes and math classes. And so is that something that you, did you find those came easy to you or it was more just like, you worked hard and you did what you had to do to get to this place. Yeah, so I always loved science. Okay. I always, I mean, I, even when I was a kid, there was a, a random kid that lived on our street and he would collect butterflies and he would ident- classify them. Uh-huh. And he'd, <laughs> I mean, this, this I, I don't know if he ended up becoming a serial killer. I mean, he literally like, would collect every animal on the street. I'm like, uh-huh. I was just like, Oh my gosh! You can't be taking all these animals and storing them in your um, garage. <laughs> but, but anyways, the reason I share this is because I, I, ha- I was intrigued by it. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, that's not like now when I'm out, I'm like, oh, that's a swallowtail because right. it was this, and right. you know. So I've always been interested in biology. I've always been interested in health. I've mm-hmm. always been. I remember doing really well in high school in anatomy and biology, mm-hmm. um, chemistry. Um, Better in O-Chem. G-Chem wasn't my <laughs> friend. Um, but I. But the funny part is, a lot of the spiritual work that you know that uh-huh. we talk about, yeah. and I can look back and I could definitely create these pivot points and these transitional understandings of what our body is doing spiritually mm. with the energetics, and especially being an acupuncturist now and knowing chi and then our yoga teacher training with the Ah. kundalini understanding prana right um and then even the nadis like for me that just all translates to polarity Mm -hmm. atoms electrons if that that's the the identification in that sort of space okay and then in other spaces it's called prana in other spaces it's called chi Uh um and so forth so, um, but yeah, I've always like, I always love science. Um, mm-hmm. Even when I was in college, I was super excited about 
my class. I mean, I would study probably more than most most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, how did you transition from pre dental to to acupuncture. acupuncture? Yeah. So this is actually a good part. So I actually went through part of my spirituality came from this phase in my life, which I called the quarter life crisis. Uh huh. So I had graduated college, studying for the DAT. Um, you know, that whole thing. I was a dental assistant. Okay. I would go and um, volunteer with USC and UCLA dental, mobile dental clinic and go to these um, uh, low-income communities and work. Uh-huh. So I, and I was always dentistry. Lo- I love teeth. I just do. <laughs> I love That's teeth. So and, and even in my practice now as an acupuncturist, if someone has neck pain, I'm like, do you clench your jaws? Uh-huh. And they're like, I don't know. My uh, my dentist gave me a night guard. I'm like, let me see. And so I'll have them. I'll check their jaw if they have TMJ. I'm like, yeah, you need to go. We'll work on that. But um, so what happened is that uh, when I was 22, I didn't know if I wanted to become a dentist all of a sudden. Oh, okay. So I didn't know if this was my path. Uh huh. And so um, and not only that, but you know, understanding the 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 work that we do now, the 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 kundalini, the mm-hmm. the deep meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, getting at the parts of our soul that right. needs that those healings. Um, back then, I was I think I was had a lot of fear that I wasn't uh, good enough, uh-huh. that I wasn't um, maybe smart enough. Hmm. So I, I remember just those conversations because you know growing going back to um, the culture. So with uh-huh. Iranian culture. And it's, it's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I think it's the conversation that is the programming yes. of um, Persian and Middle Eastern culture. Um, is there's a lot of shame, a lot yeah. of guilt. Mm. There's a lot of this and that. Mm-hmm. So it's, if you complete this, you will be this. If you don't complete this, you won't be that. Right. So for me, I think I had a lot of shame codes that were tied mm-hmm. that was keeping me being hesitant to fulfilling it as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but I knew deep down I didn't want to be in a box all day. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't decide that I wanted to be an acupuncturist until I was diagnosed with a condition I have. Okay. Okay. So, um... Okay, so imagine maybe like this is it's actually quite sad. It was about I want to say six or seven years. I was in a quarter life crisis. Uh huh. <laughs> it was a long time. I mean, I, I worked during that time. At that time, I wanted to. I was exploring different career options uh-huh. and so forth. And but feeling kind of lost, essentially. Super lost. Yeah. Super. I call it the well, and a lot of people call it the dark night of the soul. Do they? Yeah. Well, what what does that? Just mean? because it's. It's basically like you know you're not you you don't you're not quite sure what your path is, but you know you have this greater purpose, sure, and that you're not in it, yeah. And so you it gets people kind of stuck in this place of like nothing's working, nothing's happening. But it it is literally part of the spiritual journey. Like everyone has some dark night of the soul and it may last many years it may last you know a, a year or a few months most of us it lasts years you yeah. know and I think 
And I think having it at tw- in your 20s is great because some people don't have it till they're 40 or 50. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I have um, a lot of colleagues and, and friends who express they're in that space yeah. right now. And right. you're so right. I mean, I'm so grateful that I was under a roof. Right. And I was 20-some years old exploring the world right but yet being super depressed right (laughs) yeah and I'm super lost but I mean I there was a there was a sense of uh, support Mm -hmm. that I think was necessary for part of my spiritual journey right okay yeah yeah so so talk about your yeah your condition and yeah yeah absolutely so um so okay I have MS I um I have multiple sclerosis um, in on April tenth, two thousand eight, I got diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, what was interesting about that was it kind of almost happened overnight. Mm-hmm. I, when I say overnight, it happened over like two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So symptoms started happening really quickly. Yeah, like when I look back at my condition or at the MS, I may have had some of some stuff brewing. But because, okay, so this is the thing. I had stuff brewing. Mm -hmm. Because when I was seven years old, um, I would go to the doctor and then share. Because when you have one autoimmune, you have multiple autoimmunes. Okay. It doesn't, there's not one autoimmune that exists in your system. Right. So um, I I would, when I was seven years old, my mom would always take me to the dermatologist to look at my hand because I had vitiligo. Okay. Um. And then they would they would diagnose it as random stuff. They didn't know what it was. They said okay. either you have no pigment there, or you tan too much, or uh, you have fungus. I mean, right. they did, they had no idea what yeah. it was. Um, it wasn't until I was like um, in my teens, I would get really bad migraines, hmm. debilitating ones, uh-huh. to the point where I had to, um, uh, you know, go to my room, put the blanket over my head, have no music. It was just the worst right Mm -hmm. um and I also used to have digestive issues really bad and I would go to the doctors all the time and they'll go oh it's just stress or Mm. always this umbrella oh you have IBS right this right so I don't I don't want to interrupt but do you think now would be a good time to to maybe give a little context for people about what is an autoimmune disease yeah or do you think it would be better to kind of finish your story (laughs) No, I would love to share what it is. Because I think we hear so much, like, and so many people have these autoimmune diseases. And I think there's a really, there's just this misunderstanding about what that actually means. So with your background, I'd love to hear you explain what an autoimmune, what is actually happening in the body. Sure. Um, So, okay. Autoimmune is defined as Basically, your body produces antibodies that starts attacking itself, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it no longer recognizes itself um, or the tissues or the glands or the organs um, or structure. And it begins to, instead of fighting a quote-unquote foreign object, it starts fighting the internal self, your own, you know, your own, um, your own system. So... It can happen many ways, right? So people who have um, uh, IC, so uh, colitis. Okay. Okay. Interstitial. Uh, I'm sorry, not interstitial. I'm drawing a blank right here. 
Um, UC, ulcerative colitis. Ulcerative, Sorry. yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and tax their intestines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people who have MS, it tax their, their nervous system. Mm-hmm. People who have rheumatoid arthritis, it tax the joints, right. the tissues, muscles. Um, if you have celiac, it attacks the intestines. If you have vitiligo, it attacks the, the skin, yeah. um, the, the melanin. So, so many different types. And some people even, I mean, there's so many autoimmunes that are coming out. Yeah. That it's just, it's mind-boggling. Right. That, I mean, I, I almost, this is such a, like, generalized, and I'm going to uh, say it's almost like a false statement, but I feel like everyone is on their way to getting some sort of um condition where their body doesn't recognize itself and why what do you think is going on like maybe this is asking you to go super esoteric but what do you think is happening in our cultures today that are bringing on all of these autoimmune is it what we're eating is it the way we live yeah so so I'm going to give you, because I go Western, Eastern. Okay. I go esoteric, yes. I go Western, right? No, I, that's why I love it. <laughs> yeah. So Western, I'm going to just always start with the Western yeah. just because it's easy. Um, physically, we are, we're, ca- we're causing this storm within our system. Yeah. It is the food. Yeah. Our food is, and that's one of the things I advocate all the time and I share with my audience um, and my patients is food food is like the ultimate heal healer of healers right right so our food is toxic our lifestyles and the products that we use are toxic Mm -hmm. from cleaners to pesticides that we use in the yard and um even pet products you Mm -hmm. know people wouldn't think of it like using uh clay litter you know, yeah. certain litters that have certain dust. And um, each time kitty goes in there and scratches, you're, you have airborne. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's all sorts of things. So that's physical. Yeah. Right? And not only that, but, you know, as far as, like, people don't exercise as much, right? Right. And so, the overworking and, you know, I mean, that yeah. has a huge impact on people's energy and physical body. Yeah, exactly. Their physical body. Now, esoteric. Uh-huh. Eastern. Um, <laughs> this is what I recognize. So, to rationalize, as one day I was trying to rationalize MS from a chi perspective. Uh-huh. An autoimmune from a chi perspective. Okay. Right? So, what I feel is, is there's a point that your body goes into this severe shock. What happens is, is that your chi basically disperses. That's the way that I kind of create it in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. The chi gets spread and disperses in such a way that when it begins to consolidate or come back into its nucleus form or its baseline, okay, it doesn't know what to do. Uh-huh. It's, it's almost like erratic. Uh-huh. So that's what I kind of look at it. But from a soul, from a soul perspective, if you think of it, People don't know themselves. Yeah. They don't know. They don't know themselves well, right? right? So if your body is is attacking itself, it's almost like you got to sit with yourself in that stillness and really honor that space mm-hmm. of getting to know yourself. If you know yourself, if you know your soul enough, 
then you can hear these subtle um, sounds or these messages that your body's sharing with you, like, take care of me. Mm -hmm. You know, let me feed me well. Yeah. Pause. Yeah. Stretch. So that's (laughs) such a perfect segue into what, so then, okay, go, let's go back to you, you develop this condition overnight pretty much and you were diagnosed very quickly with it. I was. Yeah. Okay. So this whole thing started with a sty in my eye. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So my left eye had this sty. And at that time, during the quarter life crisis, uh-huh. I was studying for my MBA. Oh, okay. So again, that was like another thing I was exploring. <laughs> and I noticed I was I was getting more fatigued than usual. Okay. And then I developed this little um, blemish or pimple on my eye that was aggravating. Yeah. So I went to the optometrist, and she uh-huh. said, oh, it's nothing. Just put a warm compress on it, mm-hmm. and um, it'll go away. Okay. Well, I put the warm compress on it, and I started noticing I was losing eyesight, and I was, I was getting black spots okay. in my eye. So I gave her a call. I said, you know, I'm seeing this in my eyes. It's normal. So she had me come back in for follow-up. I went in, and she did another eye test, and she, she immediately recognized that I needed to go see an ophthalmologist the next morning. Uh-huh. So, um, went to an ophthalmologist and he's the most amazing, I, he's still my ophthalmologist. Uh-huh. He's, his name's Dr. Yu, Timothy Yu, um, at OC Retina. Okay. Um, anyways, I went to him and, you know, I, he did a whole slew of tests, eye tests on me and so forth. And, um, towards the end, he's, he said, um, he said, I think you have MS, you need to go to the hospital. And at that time, I didn't know what MS was. You know, uh-huh. I was 28 years old. I thought it was muscular dystrophy. Right. I didn't know it was multiple sclerosis. I just didn't know what it was. I right. was just like, what is happening? Yeah. And I didn't want to startle my parents um, because I had gone to the doctor myself. And right. so I went to the hospital by myself. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I went over there and... um so what, why did he, it was emergent enough that he felt you needed to go to the hospital and get treated immediately? Yeah, because okay. what happened was, was I was in, having optic neuritis. Oh. So it, basically inflammation or um, compromised retina. Okay. Yeah. Um, or optic nerve. Yes. Um, and so, you know, he had me go, he I had to be on steroids. That's part of the reason he needed me to go there, get a proper diagnosis, and then oh, they were going to put me on steroids yeah. to calm it down. Okay. So, anyways, I go to the hospital, um, a whole slew of tests, MRIs, and then three days later, um, they come to me. And I remember my brother was in the room with me. He was oh. the only guy in the room with me, or only person in the room with me. And doctor comes in. I, I still to this day don't know the doctor's name because oh. of... I was in such shock. Yeah. Um, he comes in and he goes, you have 13 lesions on your brain. Please Google your treatment. Give me a call on Monday and we can follow up. And I remember just looking at my brother like, this guy just said, Google your treatment. Right. Like, and this is 2008 what? too. On top of that, I'm like, what? So, I mean, no, I didn't wow. feel any of the compassion in yes. that or... You know, and, and and not only that, but just the thirteen lesions was yeah. also scary enough. But yes. then, hey, let's, yeah. So, anyways, needless to say, I didn't follow up with him. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and um, being as stubborn as I am and as scientific as I am, uh-huh. on top of that, I said no. I need more opinions. Yes. 
So I ended up seeking third opinion, you know, second opinions, third opinions, fourth opinions. Uh-huh. And all of them kept confirming and validating that it was MS. Okay. And it wasn't until um, I started, there's two neurologists that I connected deeply with through the process. Oh. Okay. So one, I would fly to San Francisco every six months. Wow. Um, because I connected with this one, one of my opinions. Yeah. Um, and she actually, her best friend was an acupuncturist. Uh-huh. And, um, and she was really open to the holistic lifestyle. Oh, okay. Because all the other previous neurologists I saw, they were very uh, study, research-driven. Yeah. You need to be on this drug. Yeah. Um, so forth. And there's not any, like, surgical intervention or anything like that for MS, is there? Um, well, okay, so many years ago, there was some an Italian group of doctors. I, I don't know if it's still happening because, for me, I, I stopped following right. <laughs> a lot of the conversations. And that's one part I'm going to share with you. Oh, okay. But um, I stopped following some of the conversation. But they were doing, they were exploring doing neck surgery to oh. um, work on the veins and the arteries of the neck because they believed there was obstructions. Huh. So, you know, some people have the the idea that MS is derived from your neck, oh. capillary system of the neck. Some people okay. believe it's a genetic thing. Some yeah. people believe, you know, uh, it's a food thing, you know, the, the holistic community at least, right? right? Um. Well, this is the thing I was going to share with you, uh-huh. um, is, so when I got diagnosed, um, they, uh, they had given me, I guess, a flyer for a newly diagnosed seminar. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, being as lost as I was and what the heck is happening to me, this was about like a, a week later, um, a week later from this, um, I went to this seminar in this hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't forget it, actually. It was in um, a hotel in Mission Viejo called the Ayers Hotel. Oh. And um, it was uh, basically all these speakers. There was a PT there. And then there was um, uh, a survivor, or not a survivor, but, you know, someone who's living with MS. And, mm-hmm. so, and then a psychologist. It was the most depressing seminar I had ever. Wow. It was, I mean, they were talking about um, people... Uh, you know, um, what's going to happen to you, what you, what you have to create in your life. You have to have this type of van. Um, you're going to eventually wear this type of possibly diapers. That's what the speaker was sharing. And this isn't to undermine their, that truth, right. That truth that is happening for For a lot of people. Right. Right. But at that time I didn't have that as an understanding. So all I knew is, is I, I went home and I, I was depressed for like yeah. three days. You know, I remember just locking myself in my room and not allowing anyone to come and talk to me, um, uh-huh. except my, finally my brother did. So w- did you let your parents into this process at some point? You said you went to the hospital by yourself. You didn't tell them? No. So they did. They eventually found you, out. Because okay. my, cousin, <laughs> my cousin told, yeah, my okay. cousin told them, yeah, they ended up coming. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my family has been part of the process. Yeah, but, it sounds like. But the thing is, is going back to the whole culture thing. So, mm-hmm. with with the, so with Persian culture, there is they show love by suffering. Mm. The majority of them. Yeah. I can't say it for all, right? 
But there is this, um, and that's one thing I'm learning through this process that I'm healing through the, the yoga and the meditation, yeah. is the conversations and the programs that were imprinted in me right. just by hearing and being around that culture, right? And it's up. even in you energetically. Totally. You know? And it's, I have detox. You're clearing, you're clearing <laughs> generations. You know, this is what we talk about in Kundalini. Like you and I have gotten that. Like I've been doing Subhag Kriya where I'm going like this, you know, and, and I'm going, God, God. And totally. I'm like, I am clearing my ancestors' issues with abundance. Wow. Like I was. What's your heritage? Uh, my, my. My dad's side is German, and my mom's side is Norwegian and Swedish. Got and it. So, yeah, I mean, they, like, moved, emigrated from Germany in the, between World War One and Two. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so it was, like, huge lack mentality, right? Like, oh, big think time. about and And then you think about our ancestors, all of our ancestors. I mean, everyone even listening to this, their ancestors came to America, or if you're in some other country you know mm -hmm. at some point your ancestors came to this country and that like you think about how hard that must have been you oh, know oh yeah and then they do that comes it's part of your life that you absorb but not only that I believe like it's an epigenetic thing that you it totally is. you're basically yeah. it's in your DNA and you can choose to turn it off or on that's totally the cool part yeah yeah no I and I love what you're sharing about like you understand like recognizing that it's like a lineage based scarcity um imprint right that, it, that you know that maybe it's not from this lifetime. or I mean, it could be, right? right. Maybe it's reinforced. Right. But there's a deep underlying, like, right. buffer zone of, like, all these people. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, like, but being willing to look at that in your own life, you know, and that's what we can sort of encourage people that are listening to do that. Like, I think it's really brave of you to really take a moment and look at the way your family is interacting with a situation and oh, then yeah. choose not to do it that way. <laughs> and I will tell you, it was not easy. I, it I'm was not, sure. I mean, it is, because, you know, like like I shared, like, coming from an ancestor, like, coming from a lineage where suffer. I mean, there are phrases that they say that are common phrases uh -huh. that literally are like, I die for you. And uh, it's like something very simple. You right. Know? Um, it's casual. It's like casual. I'm like, right. no, you can't casually die for me. <laughs> I will eat your fruit. You know, like, you guys could calm down. So but, can you give another example of something that, like, your parents did in in that suffering, you know, suffering oh, yeah. for you, essentially? Oh, yeah. So... So, like, when I got diagnosed, I remember when I was in the hospital, my mom wasn't even in the room. Uh-huh. But I, she was down the hallway. I could hear her screaming and yelling and crying to the point where I, I was like, I'm alive. Right. I didn't die. I mean, it was, it was that intense, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, my um, gosh. But not only that, but, like, you know, I got diagnosed. It's been 11 years, right? Uh-huh. Um, it took me this long to share my story because of the shame 
conversations that were created within my my mother not my dad so much but my mother mm-hmm. it wasn't it's not her fault right, right. because in in the iranian she culture she was programmed she was programmed right yeah. and it's it's all about looking good right so you know the conversation was always like don't tell so and so that you have this they're going to feel sorry for you or oh. don't sit, don't share this if you're going to go on a date oh. you know basically so i i felt this like deep sense within myself that I'm damaged yeah that I'm not worthy that something went wrong um that things aren't going to be all right mm-hmm. also a form of scarcity too like yeah. I don't have enough for right. me right, right? so or um, even that this thing is going to prevent you from being able to provide for yourself or yeah. or have someone else provide for you if you're you know oh yeah well, because she, my mother had come to the seminar with me, so oh, so yeah. So she was, so she heard, oh, uh, yeah, completely, the conversation, all the worst case scenario, yeah. yeah. So for her, she's like, and and she and and going around and talking with other people who have it, yeah, because they were in in the like kind of like the progressive stages of this, right. So she that's that's the conversation she was having in her her own sense of soul right about her daughter. Aww, yeah. So sad. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so what I want to get to is then what happened that made you shift to Okay, I'm 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 not going to believe that like that story and mm-hmm. I'm going to f- approach this in a new way. Yeah. So that didn't happen for a while. Okay. So, okay, so this is the thing. When I got diagnosed, they put me on steroids, mm-hmm. and these steroids were doing a number on me, right? Yeah. So they were keeping me up at night. Um, you know, going back to the fact that um, how I got into acupuncture, this all ties in. Uh-huh. Okay? So during that quarter-life crisis, I was going through a lot of anxiety, and I had a friend that was in acupuncture school. So I drove up to Santa Monica, the Emperor's College, and I got a treatment from her. Um, and that was um, when I was 24 years old. So yeah. now I'm 28. Yeah. Okay. I'm diagnosed. I'm totally on steroids. Um, I can't sleep. I'm irritable. Um, and in the midst of this, I'm um, cleaning my closet because I can't fall asleep. <laughs> and a pamphlet falls onto the floor, and it's from Emperor's College. And Wow. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I Like, that's random. Yeah. And so imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you recognize it as meaningful in the moment? Like, oh, I should. This is a sign. Kind of. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I looked at it like, because I've always been that way. Right? Yes. I've always right. Been it sounded like, yeah, you're very intuitive. And, very, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when things fall in onto the floor, like. <laughs> Literally, literally in front of you. Yeah, I mean, it even happened how I got into Buddhism. That was the way the, a book fell on the floor, the Book of Awakening, Four Noble Truths. I was like, oh, I should buy this. I'm a Buddhist. I was 22. But um, so the thing was, is I got the pamphlet, and so um, I decided that, and just on a whim, I remember. So I got diagnosed April. Just happened a few weeks later. Um, uh oh. I forgot this. I was putting my dad's office for rent. My dad had an office for lease in um, uh, down in Orange County. And some lady, next day, same day, like it was the next morning, lady calls and she wants to lease. And I go, oh, okay, well, what do you do for a profession? I'm an acupuncturist. 
So ah. I started, so you're getting I'm signs. I'm getting the pinks. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, universe. <laughs> so I, what I decided to do was I'm like, I'm going to apply to dental. Um, I'm going to apply to acupuncture school. So it wasn't like I'm going to go see an, an acupuncturist. acupuncturist. <laughs> no. <I love> <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm uh-huh. going to... Um, apply to acupuncture school and I'm going to learn how to heal myself. And if I can heal other people, amazing. Cause I was kind of thinking, I'm like, I'll probably go into a hundred thousand dollar debt. Right. But I'll learn how to heal myself. Right. But maybe I'll heal other people too. Uh-huh. Who knows? And I, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Right. And, um, Oh, <laughs> and the woman who called to lease the office, she, I was like, Oh, did you go to emperor's? Uh-huh. Because I only knew... That only, was the only one you knew of, yeah. That's the only one I knew of. Well, she's like, no, I went to PECOM. And I was like, where's that? Uh-huh. She's like, San Diego. I was like, what? Oh. So I look it up, and I'm like, I'm going to just submit my applications to these two schools. Okay. And see what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, both of them accepted me. I went for an, um, I went for the interviews. Uh-huh. And I ended up loving the campus in San Diego okay, and kind of the energy there. And, and I, I had lived in LA for a couple of years. So I, I was like, I want a new yeah. experience. Oh, okay. Right? So, um, so how now you're 28, is this a few years later or right after you got that same year that you got diagnosed? Well, same diagnosed. So I same got year. diagnosed April, 2008. I started acupuncture school, September, 2008. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I did not. Yeah. So it was like my quarter life pro- crisis that I had was like <laughs> zippity do now I'm like no no more crisis wow um so so anyways um I ended up going to school uh-huh. and in this time I mean I wasn't a healthy individual I was still right. you know having in and out and having pizzas and having uh, Doritos and Sour Patch Kids and, and just essentially managing your MS just man yeah because I with was steroids well, or they, they? Had di- they had put me on, at this point, I was on a different, like a different medication. Oh, okay. It was injections. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was on injections called beta-seron at first, and then later on, they put me on copaxone. Mm-hmm. So this is the part where is the part where I learned to heal myself. Okay. okay. So two years later, this is 2010, um, I got the worst relapse. That I've ever because wow. uh, so you were finished with school or is your how I'm long is acupuncture school? It's a four-year four medical school. Uh, okay, yeah. So yeah. it's a four-year private medical program yeah. um, where we learn both Eastern and Western yeah. medicine. Um, so it's in the middle of your school. Middle, you have this. Yeah. Okay. And um, this relapse was the worst one because I um, my hand went into a permanent. My right hand was going into a permanent fist. Or clenching, it was like this. Uh huh. Um, I couldn't walk. My oh, wow. my I couldn't coordinate my legs. Um, I was stuttering. I would lose. Um, I could, would stop talking in the middle of my sentences. Um, I would forget words. Um, I would get patches in my left eye. Um, I would get numbing and tingling. Just everything. You can wow. just just total dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, I had to go, and this time I, I didn't tell my parents again, but I went to the hospital. Oh. I got um, a dose of 
steroids mm -hmm. um, came home and they had to give me IV steroids as well mm -hmm. um, and then when that was done I remember sitting on the floor I was 29 years old at that time mm -hmm. um, sitting on the floor 29 30 I was begging from God because God was the conversation I was having at that point mm -hmm. and I, I begged him to give me my legs and hands back mm -hmm. and that I will never be the same person again if you give me my hands and legs back I will never be the same person because at that point I, I couldn't take tests. I remember I had actually dropped three of my acupuncture classes mm -hmm. because um, I couldn't yeah I couldn't do needles. Um, I remember having people having to walk my tests up to the teacher because I couldn't walk. Wow. So I would finish my test, either hand it to a friend and they would walk it up or, uh -huh. or I would wobble. Yeah. So when I made that declaration, um, and it was like this deep surrender. Uh-huh to him yeah I felt this this I, I want to even say light but this just lightness come over me like this oh. I was bawling and all of a sudden I felt this and I I felt like I could trust something yeah. I felt safe you felt like you'd been heard I was and yeah, that you're exactly yeah okay I, I it, the message was connected yeah yeah and I can share from that point on, that's when I started to get all the tools I needed. Because I already was doing chiropractic care. Because I've, okay. I've been doing chiropractic care since I was 19. Mm -hmm. um, I come from a chiropractic family. My brother's a chiropractor. Oh, okay. And my uh, cousin's a chiropractor. Uh-huh. Um, so I was doing that. Um, I was going to the neurologist. But what I didn't have was um, food. Uh-huh. I... Um, and you know the self care, yeah, and that sort of space. Okay. Um. So I didn't have that. Um. I slowly started at that point. I I wasn't so savvy about my food yet, so yeah. I just became gluten free. Okay. And I noticed a complete shift was already happening by me going gluten free, eliminating nightshades, being more diligent about the stuff that I was putting in my body. Oh yeah. You know, not having pop tarts in the morning on the way to acupuncture school. <laughs> yogurt thinking that's healthy right. <laughs> so um that was that and um but what was and I of course like with the acupuncture so there was a there is an acupuncturist um he was a intern at that time um people could probably look him up his name is uh Brett Robin he is the acupuncturist for the Padres now oh okay yeah, down in San Diego uh -huh. um but he was work, working under the rotation of this uh, acupuncturist in our our school. Uh -huh. This Vietnamese acupuncturist named Tone, I believe, was his name. Um, who everyone knew this guy was like. He basically could find the remarkable point on someone's body to mm. help seize whatever it was, mm -hmm. right? So I used to go um, to the school clinic and, and get scalp acupuncture. So that was helping with my motors uh -huh. of my leg. Yeah. Um, not only that, but also bringing me a deep sense of, like, relaxation once yeah. the scalp points were out. <laughs> so that was that. But um, the, the place where I started to really, really start to take care of myself uh -huh. was when I moved back to Orange County. This was 2013. Um, so I, you graduated school? I graduated uh -huh. school. I took the boards. Okay. I was um, I was now back in Orange County starting to begin a practice yes yeah and um 
and uh, I, you know, routinely, I had an amazing doctor, but she retired now. Her name's Dr. Chaudhry. She was a neurologist who did Ayurveda, too. Uh-huh. So she was kind of in the process of me really cleaning out my diet as well. Uh-huh. But when I got to Orange County, um, so on my routine visits, they found uh, a lesion that was growing on my brainstem, uh-huh. near my brainstem. Okay. And so, of course, she shared if this gets any bigger what that means and you having a science background you know what that means if it's by your brain stem it's you stop breathing right your heart can stop fatal yeah you die right (laughs) yeah and so um i was on some medications at that point and then she she decided that um she wanted to put me on a different medication Mm -hmm. but i i kind of bargained with her because all the medications she offered me were I mean, one of them was you have to stay at the hospital for the first six hours because you're at risk for cardiac arrest. That was one of the side effects. Oh. Yeah. Wow. The other one was um, uh, there's a possibility that you can't get pregnant because there's a possibility your fetus might have a small head or abnormal size head. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'd have to make sure that you're on some sort of birth control too. Uh Uh-huh. the other one was basically your hair and nails will all fall out. There was another one that you get a rare uh, brain infection. They didn't know which one, like what dosage it would be because it was randomized. So like some people would get it on the first time they get the dose. Some people get it on the 14th. Oh, my God. So if you can imagine. Right. Those, none of like, those sounded like a great path to go down. <laughs> it wasn't like you may have nausea. <laughs> So I bargained with her. Uh-huh. So this is where the meditation, because I was already in meditation pro- practices, but okay. not as diligent. Okay. okay. So I bargained with her and I said, how about this? I'm going to clean out my diet even more mm-hmm. and I'm going to start meditating. Um, I'm not going to take any of these medications, but we're going to retest my MRI um, and see if anything happens. After a certain time? Yeah. So oh. it was like six months. Okay. Um, about six months-ish. Um uh, so I began to meditate and what was actually super crazy was, you know, cause when you're getting into a meditation practice, uh-huh. people don't know, they think you, you think a lot, right. you're just sitting there right. cross-legged <laughs> right. or on a pillow and you're just like, what's happening? Am I doing this right? right. <laughs> you know, like, yes. I'm sure you've, like, and I, I talk about experience. that in the podcast, like what people have such you know, a misunderstanding of what meditation actually is. Totally. And so it's just, so what, yeah, so what did, what was the practice you were doing and did you have a teacher or did you just say, okay, I'm going to sit and meditate? (laughs) Well, so like I kind of shared, I stumbled upon Buddhism Uh actually when I was 22. Okay. So I was, um, I had the, so I used to go, there's a temple here in Irvine. Oh. I used to go to their Sunday school. Okay. Um, it's called Palfa Temple. It's right off Jamboree. Uh-huh. Um, I used to go there often and just meditate. Okay. I would go in the rooms or I would have lunch and the monks, the monks would be there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I stumbled up. So I, I was 
basically that whole Buddhist route okay. for a very long time. Yeah. And not only that, but in acupuncture school, because of the Taoist is a very heavily influenced. I mean, that's uh-huh. pretty much what Chinese medicine is. It's right. based on Taoism, a lot of uh, Taoist practices. So I learned how to meditate a little bit there. Uh-huh. But yeah, it wasn't, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't like a strong meditation practice at that point. I mean, like the max I could do was like 20 minutes. Okay. And I would sit, but what I would do is I would always have, because um, I had lived at home mm-hmm. and Persian family members are not always quiet. And, <laughs> and, and um, at that time, I remember my dad used to wake up really early, like 530 in the morning. You could hear the tea kettle outside. Yeah. You could hear him like open up the toaster oven. So like, this is not <laughs> ideal meditation here. I was at the bottom room right next to the kitchen. Oh, okay. So I would put on my headphones. And so this is the part I was going to share with you. I, I would put on music. But oh. I had, I didn't know that I was listening to Mool Mantra. You were? Yes. I'm like, I get That's killed. so... Bananas. Oh, man. <laughs> so we should say what... Mul- so Mul Mantra, you can look it up. You can, like, go on Spotify, and it's spelled either M-O-O-L or M-U-L Mantra. And it's it's essentially the foundational mantra in Kundalini Yoga. <laughs> So how did you find that you you just stumbled upon it? No. Well, so I had a friend of mine in acupuncture school who was a massage therapist. And, um, you know, like, I just had her load me up with iTunes oh, okay. when, we, when we used to study uh-huh. with her massage music. Because I always needed something in the background when I was, like, reading my acupuncture stuff, yes. you know. But I always, this the funny thing was, it was um, Sonatum Cars uh-huh. version. And I remember I used to always sing it, and, like, I would take a shower getting ready, and I will have it in the background. I was just like, this is such a, like, cool yoga song, right? Uh Uh-huh. But what was funny is I would have it on, and I would just, um, I would zen out. Okay. I would just keep, so the way that I used to meditate Hmm. was I would keep my eyes closed, and I would do long, deep breathing now that we recognize what that is. Yeah. But I would focus on the chakras, Oh. So I would imagine when I would take a deep breath in, I would uh-huh. go from throat chakra okay. all the way up to crown. Uh-huh. And then from crown, I would go to third eye, go back up to crown, go back to throat. And uh-huh. then at one point, I started to descend to heart. Okay. And then I remember um, through my meditations, I would focus and stay in the heart and create like white light and like some golden sheen over it. Uh-huh. And then I would um have it go back up to crown, but I when I I'll go eventually I'll go down a route, but for me it was like I would always focus on just going heart to crown. So was that crown. intuitive? Did that just come like you had never been taught that technique? Never taught. Yes. It. So So weird. This right? is n- no, it's not <laughs> weird at all. It's not. <laughs> okay. And I I actually was talking to Satdev Beer, our teacher sure. um, from teacher training at Yoga West, um, about this the other day that I've been really just allowing meditations to come to me. So and, and there I have always resonated with visualizations, just like you're saying. But I just love that like you even had this intuitive sense of the chakra system. Like, you know, you hadn't been taught it. But I also just sidebar, I, I like a few months ago, a JLA 
mantra came into my sphere and it was like, and it was just like, I was suddenly obsessed with this mantra and I was doing it all the time. And then I found then, and my practices, essentially my sadhanas just come to me. It's like, okay, it's time for you to do this for 40 days. Totally. (laughs) I'm the same. And so, right, I got to this point. I was so obsessed with the JLA and a JLA is a complicated, kind of hard to memorize um, mantra. And it just, I would just listen to it over and over again. And then I learned it within, you know, a few days. Totally. And then I, and then this sadhana came that had a JLA as part, as a huge part of the... What is the sadhana? um, I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, it was... um, it was, I can't remember what it's called. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But you, it's a mantra where you hold your two, um, or these are Jupiter fingers yeah. together, the points of the Jupiter finger in front of your heart, and you just m- chant the mantra. Right. For, and I've been doing, I was doing that for 11 minutes. And then I get this sense of completion. Wow. Of like, okay, wow. and it's not just 40 days, it's like whatever. It is. I'll just feel like, okay, I'm complete with that practice. Totally. And so I just, so now let's go back to you are now, you know, okay, you're committed to healing yourself. It sounds like essentially. Oh, yeah. In this, at this point in your story and you're committed to using food and and meditation. Yeah, so to, I, those were going to become my game changers. Yes. And, and the sound, so I also just want to emphasize that the mantras, it's it's actual sound current that it is transmitting an energetic. Um, I don't know what would you call it. It's an an energetic transmission that you receive in listening to it, and also in actually speaking it. There is a lot to do with the movement of your mouth and your tongue, that does things in your nervous system essentially it yeah well it's kind of like the i mean it is the stuff that we're learning it's the 84 meridians right um in the mouth Mm. and essentially we are creating this deep resonance Mm -hmm. in our system and tuning it and pitching it to the right frequencies um by connecting to that that sound current that sound current the sound current it's Which is so cool, so rad, right? <laughs> I want it because we're so science and stuff. That's literally like the quantum, like the quantum. Yes. Like I mean, they always say that there's no sound in the galaxy, and they always say like um, our body doesn't make sounds, but it, according to the Chinese medicine, uh huh, um, and even in Taoist practices, um. Our organs make sounds. Mm. Like the liver will make a certain sound. Mm-hmm. The spleen will make a certain sound. So when we're creating these sound currents through our organs, our, our glandular systems know that are sound. Are aligning to it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, just like a guitar. We, right. Yeah, we're the, we're the instrument. Right. So, yeah, so at that time, that's, that's what I was doing. I was... Um, so I actually, because at that point I was diving deep. So what also healed me is not just 
the meditation and food, but it's functional medicine. Okay. Okay. So functional medicine is um, a medicine where we look at the root causes. I mean, we're, we do essentially what naturopathic doctors do, or um, we look at the root cause. So we look at labs, we look at all sorts of things. We um, usually prescribe food or supplement. Okay. Um, lifestyle shifts. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the conversations within the functional medicine community has to do with like epigenetics and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't, in the functional medicine, we don't subscribe that you are that disease. Right. We understand that you can transmute it, that, mm-hmm. that you can express it in another way if you choose to. Right. That's the caveat, right? Right. So, um, because I was a functional medicine provider and I was deep in my functional medicine studies. Um, so I, was that in addition to acupuncture or did that come with the acupuncture yes. studying? So, it, okay, so it didn't really come with the studies. Yeah, okay. Um, there was, you know, like when you're, in this, when you're in the program, people start to take random workshops and random uh, yeah. s- side school work. Right. And so through that whole... Um, through that whole community, you start understanding like, hey, there's this company that offers this. And so I, I actually linked up with Apex Energetics at first, okay. which is a local a supplement and functional medicine educational um, a company. Okay. Um, they're out here in Irvine. Um, but w- when I was in school, I used to go to their free study shop workshops oh. in La Jolla. Uh-huh. So they would hold it in various places, but I would go and I would learn um, the way that they would look at blood work or the way that they would have these um, crazy conversations about having fats, Mm. healthy fats, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but, um, but now when I was in Orange County and I was actually, actually practicing as an acupuncturist and practicing functional medicine on my patients, Uh um, I just, there was a company that I, I essentially prescribed to my patients even to this day. Um, it's called Cyrix Labs, and okay. I was doing the food allergy test on it. Oh, okay. So I um, did a food allergy test on myself mm-hmm. because I knew that I was gluten intolerant. I knew I had, like, I knew my major intolerances. Yeah. Didn't know all of them. Right? right. So I did the test, and I found out I was allergic to grains, including rice, which is, I'm Persian. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> That's and a, you've been eating rice your entire life. I'm sure it was my first food. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so I've been having rice, I mean, wow. my entire life. Yeah. Um, I'm allergic to, I mean, you name it. I mean, to this point, I, I always joke around whenever I go to a restaurant and like, I mean, I, I essentially don't eat at restaurants as much yeah. anymore. But um, I'll tell the waiter, I'm allergic to everything. They're like, oh, no. No, there'll be an ambulance at the the front of your restaurant, Uh so we can't have anything being tampered. Right, right. So um, I eliminated rice out of my diet and grains, Uh Um, started meditating, um, started living positive mindset, right? Uh Um, And within, I would say, four to six months, whatever was my MRI time, that lesion that was by my brainstem had shrunk. Wow. It had shrunk. Uh huh. Significantly. I like you know. I I don't want to. I don't want to say. I don't think it was a cent. It was like a millimeter. Okay. But it was enough where even right. the neurologist was like, 
this is not the same. It yeah. doesn't look the right. same. Okay. Right. Um, so, yeah. And so I knew that there was something to it. And yeah. so um, I continued. But I, I mean, I, I'm not like now where I have my sadhana practice right. or my deep meditation practices. Uh-huh. Back then, it wasn't as daily. Yeah, okay. But it was it was pretty often uh-huh. I would do meditation. And if and for me back then, I would drive the Palfa, the, the temple. Oh, okay. The temple. And I would meditate there. There. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then I started clearing out my food and I started living a paleo lifestyle. Uh-huh. So that that's kind of what helped heal me as well was I started eating meats, more veggies, good fats. Mm-hmm. Um... And then slowly, um, I basically got all functioning of my entire body. I mean, my hand, as you can see now. Right. And I mean, to the point, I'm even astonished in in our classes, or even with white tantric. Like, I'm uh, holding my hand up for 62 right. minutes. Right. Or I'm doing stretch pose for three minutes when we're in class. Yeah. Um, things that I never in my mind, like, right. would have thought of. So, how, how long were you doing how long till your neurologist said okay it, this doesn't seem to be an issue for you anymore yeah <laughs> that never happened no okay no that didn't actually happen so what happened was okay so dr chaudhry the most amazing neurologist um she she retired uh-huh she retired and i i like, basically, she gave a bunch of names of neurologists to go see and so forth, but it was just, it wasn't going to be the same. Right. Because, I mean, she was an unusual soul. Right. She really was. Well, it, she was, you know, you you were meant to work with her. <laughs> I was. Yes. I, yeah, I definitely was. Yeah. I actually, a lot of the prescriptions she gives, it's like kind of funny, I look at the Ayurvedic uh-huh. information that we have, and I'm like, hmm. Like, this is definitely some yogi stuff right. that she was providing me. Exactly. Um, but, okay, so I, and I now I'm living in Orange County. She's in La Jolla. She retired, and I, I couldn't find a neurologist. So started Googling and yelping and all sorts of things, and I found this uh, neurologist here um, locally at UCI. Uh-huh. I started seeing her, but um, unfortunately I ended up, transitioning out of her care because I this is <clears throat> this is a crazy part of the story um I got a stroke off the medications I was on so I was <gasps> I was still on some medication because you know I had that fear program yeah in me, yeah right I don't have that fear program anymore I haven't been on medication since the stroke <laughs> wow um but uh I'm actually gonna pull the picture up and show you so you can have a conversation to share with yeah. your audience. But um, I remember it was October 2017, I think. Uh-huh. Or 16, 17, something like that. I, um, it's Copaxone was the medication. And I went to go um, inject myself. And, you know, I was always injecting myself. And that was every day or weekly this, or something? Well, initially, they had us do it um, daily, but then they changed the formulation. Okay. So the titration of it changed to, um, to you could do it every other day. Okay. Which my body wasn't prepared for that every other 
day, even though it's they they would claim mm. at the um, at the their pharmaceutical company every time I would talk with one of the reps that it's the same. I, and I, to me, because you know we have that background, I mean it's different if you're you're giving a small dose right daily versus titrating and giving you a large dose all at right. once. Right. You know, so um, anyways, I ended up taking. The medication and, and and the thing was is for many months I would call them and tell them I was hey I would stop breathing I'm like hey I'm like I stopped breathing or like hey I got like a migraine or yeah um, and you knew it was the drugs it wasn't the condition yeah because it would happen right when you were having after the oh. yeah so um wow I and this is minutes after <gasps> Oh my gosh. Whoa. So, yeah. So, so her face is, she's showing me a picture of her face and it's like distorted essentially. Like, so that's, and I, so I took a photo. Yeah. Because you had the wherewithal to take a photo first of all. (laughs) Yes. And also I'm, I'm a Leo. I'm stubborn. (laughs) I'm going to share this right now. <laughs> like, hey, neurologist, I've been telling you for months this medicine is not good for me. Yeah. Like, you know, I kept telling her. And she's like, oh, that's just normal side effect. Oh, my gosh. So. Um, so you sent her that. No. So what I did oh. is I took, because I, I, I had an upcoming visit coming up with uh-huh. her. So I took that picture and I also recorded, I voice recorded as I was um, in the middle of the the. TIA. So it ended up oh. being a TIA. Okay. Which is... A, trans, a trans, transient ischemic attack. Okay. Um, so it's basically a stroke for 10 minutes. Okay. So um, so I ended up uh, showing her that, and she told me that, that that has nothing to do with the medication. I also showed my internist, and my oh. internist said that that was a panic attack. She said that's anxiety. What? It's clearly like a physical, I mean, I mean, it looks like a stroke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, half my face was yeah, drooped. Yeah, half the face is drooped. Yeah. Yeah. Even to this day, even if I smile, I still have like a kind of like asymmetrical mm. from mm-hmm. from it. But um, Dr. Yu, the, uh-huh. uh, so I had like a routine visit with him. I showed him those photos and he was the only doctor and he he apologized he said i'm so sorry that they shared that with you that you did have a ti you did that that is a stroke because i had him listen to the voice recording too right he said that because then your voice got like garbled and oh yeah and yeah and not only that but i mean i fell to the ground i couldn't breathe i was numb everything so did you go to the hospital when that happened or no no, you know you were taking pictures of yourself. I was doing a selfie of my stroke <laughs> and recording it. I was recording it. Obviously, this is what we do now. You're right? such a scientist, too. I am. I'm like, no, homie. <laughs> you guys, I've been telling you for months. This thing is horrible. So, um, let me tell you something. No, I didn't go to the hospital. <laughs> Because they were gonna tell me the right. same, right? So I actually this is this is this is crazy. So I that same day that happened, I was supposed to go do a, a zombie workshop for my cousin. What? 
know, right? This is the wait a minute, a zombie workshop. <laughs> My cousin, she's a makeup artist and oh. costume designer. Okay, and she teaches. Um, she teaches at Moore Park College. Her name is uh, Holly Ristana. Um, if anyone wants, but anyways, uh, so she was taking a workshop because you know part of the being a professor at Moore Park, they allow her to take these workshops to teach these things to oh, the kids. Okay. And she knows I'm all about, like, you know, uh, I mean, that's a side of me as well. I love, like, creepy oh. like, zombie <laughs> move, You know, like, okay. Kruger, all, like, that was, like, pre-Kundalini. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyways, so she asked me to be her model. Oh. And I was like, of course. <laughs> like, and right. you know, it's Halloween. It's, Ye- I'm right. obsessed with Halloween. So okay. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I call her up. And I sent her the picture. I texted her the pictures, and she's like, "We're not even at the workshop." It's like, <laughs> like, "What happened? Are you sure you want to come?" Yeah. And I was like, "You know, at that point, I was like, I'm gonna go. I don't oh, care. Oh my god, what just happened to me." <laughs> wow. So, um, yeah. So we went and then did the zombie workshop, and that was it. And then from so then, did you stop taking the drugs because you had convinced yourself you didn't? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So right then and there, you yeah. stopped. Yeah, okay. and I haven't taken any medication since. Wow. I take nothing. It's just purely uh, yoga, meditation, food, positive mindset. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't have the conversation. Like, for example, on this whole podcast, I've been sharing that I have MS. In my real-world conversations, I never say I have MS. Because mm. I don't want to identify that I have this yeah so the way i share it with most people is is i have a giant food allergy Mm -hmm. which is true yeah because you know multiple sclerosis is multiple scars so yes everyone has multiple scars in their Mm -hmm. life Um, but i'm not going to choose to say i have it and i'm always going to have it right yeah so what yeah so do you feel like you've transmuted it completely or do you feel like you're managing it Well, I, okay, so personal belief system is, Mm -hmm. is I think that it's beyond dormant in my system, like reversed. Okay. Because um, the ways that I recognize it, here's our our science stuff, my reflexes are quite faster. Okay. So with MS, you lose a lot of that um, agility, Mm -hmm. dexterity, um, uh, quick reflexes, Yeah. right? Um, I noticed that like when something's falling off the counter without hesitation I'm able to quickly grab right or and um, that was not the case five years ago no if something yeah. fell I would stare at it till it fell to the floor and be right. like oh it fell right <laughs> right you know um yeah and oh you know you were sharing did any doctor say that you know I healed my tissue or whatever right. so going back to that one doctor that the neurologist at UCI uh-huh. um of course I'm not going to share her name yeah but um when I showed her that photo, because um, I had, I was there for her to read some of the MRI results okay. that I had recently done. Yes, okay. Well, I had healing tissue on the MRI, but she didn't want to acknowledge that there was healing tissue, so she started blurbing out some statistics to me. So she shared that, well, we don't know. I mean, it, you don't have any active lesions right now, hmm. but one in 50 have it in 
the gray matter and one in 100 have it in the white matter. So mm-hmm. some, some sort of statistic like that. I can't remember the exact. So to me at that point, inside my soul, mm-hmm. I recognize that this person doesn't have that understanding that someone can heal themselves from this. Right. She had a, a limited capacity or a limited narrow um, viewpoint of uh, managing your health. Mm-hmm. And she was very research-based. So, um, so yeah, no one has actually, no, no doctor has shared right. that my MS is gone. But my, myself, from my own experience, uh, I have full functioning, as you can see. Yeah. Um, You're com- I mean, no one condition. would ever look at you and think that you have any condition at all, except for being a beautiful yogi. <laughs> Sweet. I love Seriously. that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I just, that's the thing. Like, I I don't want to be the the poster child of a condition. Right. I don't think anyone should be. And and the thing is, is I always advocate that within my patients. Yeah. Um, I have a patient right now that has MS. Um, he came, he was referred to me uh, a few months ago. And already, what, what's wonderful is I've, I've given him the tools. Yeah. Right? And what he shared with me actually on Tuesday was that his worst days aren't as bad as what he used to have. Mm-hmm. That he could already feel that his body is improving. Wow. And we did the tests on him. And so um, I hope to really, um, and not just with MS, I mean, I really hope to share with people that don't believe what the doctors, I mean, like, I'm not saying disrespect him or neglect your doctor's um, recommendations, right? Right. But I believe that you know your body way more than they know. Right. You know your soul healing a whole lot more than they know. Some some people might be kind of um, misguided or lost or convoluted, mm-hmm. you know, through the process of their condition. But once you create that guidance and if they form the strength to start working for themselves. Right. You can transform anything. And I think it's really important to have the support in that. Like, it's really hard to be doing that by yourself, essentially. And everyone is telling you, oh, this isn't going to work. Or, you know, every doctor is telling you, you don't have a single, like, healer that is helping you. And so I think it's really... You know, anyone who's having some kind of condition and they have gotten to a point where Western medicine is no longer serving them, mm-hmm. it's, you know, just open your mind to trying some kind of healing modality that may be outside the box for them, you oh, know? totally. Because yeah. it's just, it's also part of our conditioning and our programming that doctors know everything and we just do what they tell us to do. I've been so shocked at, at like how many doctors I only go to doctors who will actually because I'm I'm a scientist and I I mean no I'm not a you know I did not go to medical school I'm yeah. a marine biologist yeah <laughs> like, I I'm not you know a medical professional but I'm a scientist and I can ask questions and I'm not an idiot like yeah. and you know some some doctors either completely like just blow you off. Or they answer you in a way that, you know, just makes me feel like I'm kind of like, oh, they don't think I understand. 
Right. Like almost like, you know, I don't want to use the word condescending. It is. It's condescension. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. And, and that's where, so I only go to doctors and honestly, I don't go to very many doctors, but I only go to he, any kind of healer who will answer my questions in a, in a scientific way. And it's like, but also a human way, right? And yeah, they right. We need we someone need that, that to have human. that bedside manner, right? Like right. that yeah. that that compassion and empathy. Yeah. Um, which is probably what you know. Obviously, I have not ever had a session with you, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that you have that that compassion. I you know? hope I do. And then, <laughs> but you also bring the the actual the wisdom from not only your intuition. Or not only your schooling yeah. and experience, but your your intuition. You know? Oh, very much. And my, and this is the thing, like with the way I practice, and a lot of my patients know this from their first visit. Typically, mm. um, I will intuitively feel something that they need to know about their healing. Uh huh. Um, it's not usually from a textbook, as right. you know. Right. It's those the pings. Yeah. The downloads, but um. But that's that's where the magic is because, yeah. you know, I always joke around with my friends. But I mean, there's some truth to it. I I do see souls, mm-hmm. and I don't mean mean this like I see dead people, you know, right. like type of thing. Um, I have this gift yeah. where I it's this just sensation that I can feel people's souls, mm-hmm. and I could know, and of course, it's it's heightened more and more. As I've cleared, you know, yes. cleared, cleared, and gotten to my pure truth, or getting to my pure truths. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I can sit with someone and realize, like, hey, this, this sciatica. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something. Let's just say the sciatica. Yes, physically, you're sitting at a desk this much, but your soul also is requiring this to start moving this energy. Yes. And I think, honestly, we're moving in a direction where that is going to become the new normal. I hope so. You know, like, because I, yeah, like, I've just awakened some of my healing abilities in, it's almost like Reiki, it's like energetic healing, and um, I'm, it's, it's just really interesting how I really believe that not only can everyone, like you, heal themselves but we can heal others it's just a matter of believing in ourselves that's yeah right like because we're everyone is always in their own exactly space that like you know just sitting and being with someone right. and rec- like let's okay, this is the other thing is let's say that person doesn't know their own truth right but if you can sit there and help understand that the way that you see their truth projecting. Mm-hmm. That's healing in itself. Right. Just the presence of like letting someone be authentic and be their, themselves. Be themselves. Exactly. And you. No judgment. And like we can be present with someone and really see them. Yes. Because most people don't take the time to really see someone. They don't. And yeah. especially, you know, medical professionals. Yeah. You know, like. This is this is I guess this is gonna be a truth bomb I should share. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you know you shared like <clears throat> sometimes you'll go to the doctors. <clears throat> excuse me. 
and they only have a limited time with you, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, it's true. I mean, if you have insurance, right. they do have a limited time with you because we have certain codes, so I accept insurance as well. Yeah. I With my insurance patients, there's certain modalities and certain services I can do <clears throat> within a moment. If it exceeds that time code, they're called time codes, uh-huh. CPT, then I won't get reimbursed. Oh. I won't get paid. Yeah. Or there's a possibility that it may get denied. Right. So that's the insurance realm, right? Yeah. So typically, if you have insurance and you go do your MD or your, um, or your uh, DO, right, um, they have uh, eight minutes. Wow. Um, I think it's eight minutes because for me it's 15 minutes. It might be 15 minutes with them yeah. as well, but you, I think it's eight minutes because wow. after my 15 minutes, it's eight minutes. So in eight minutes, you got to imagine the time clock starts when they weigh you. Uh huh. The, me- the medical assistant. Right. Weighs you, that she takes your blood pressure. Yeah. She asks you what, why you're there, right? So that's already, what, three minutes, four minutes? Yeah. It's already half the time code. Right. Doctor already gets the briefing from the dictation that's on the, the system. Yeah. Cause, and, and then he runs in, or she runs in, and they have maybe four minutes with you. Right. Maybe ten minutes with you. Yeah. And then after that, they're not going to get paid. Because wow. they have three or four other people in other rooms. Right. Whose times already have started. Right. So, I mean, I hate to share this aspect of it, but a lot of people aren't aware of that. Right. And and then we get this <clears throat> programming of being dismissed all the time. Yeah. Dismiss, condescending conversations, or doctors don't um, have the time to even, even if they know. Yeah. Some of these doctors do know. Right. They know that if they create a conversation, it's going to be 20 minutes, 30 yeah. minutes. And so... I guess that really comes back to being an advocate for yourself and like finding the people that will help you or that will sit down with you for a half an hour. <laughs> right, a half hour. <laughs> yeah. Preferably more, you know, Preferably. especially if it's a big it's if if it's a big diagnosis, you know. Very like, much. Um and and I think <laughs> that's yeah, that's what's coming out for me as like a really big message is not only can you heal yourself from things that people say are literally incurable, yeah. right? I mean, that's what they say about MS. Yes. Um, and most people are living that reality Yeah. because they don't know that there's another option. Yeah. And so don't you, I think what you said to me before we started recording, you said, or maybe it was during the recording, that you, at some point, you made a choice. Yeah. That I'm I'm not going to live in that story anymore. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the takeaway statement mm-hmm. is, you know, even like with what we're learning, right? We get imprints. We are impressionable souls. Mm-hmm. Wherever we are, we're in a coffee shop, we're in a doctor's office, we're in our family, 
we are picking up and absorbing all of these programs, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you can choose which one you want to accept or adopt, right? So for many years, I was told through through the programming of the medical system that you have stress. Oh, this is just because you drink too much coffee or those are the fungus or, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I've, I've chosen right now. I don't have a neurologist. I should get one. (laughs) I think so. Just in case it'll be nice. But, um, right now I, I literally take care of myself and I always share this with, like you saying, be your own advocate. Yeah. No one knows how to take care of you more than yourself. And if you and if you don't know how to take care of yourself, like you said, find a healer that will guide you right to your truth on how to heal yourself right or how to treat yourself well. Right. And asking for help is is the number one. I mean, there's nothing wrong with asking for help, you know. It and I don't necessarily see going to like a western MD as asking for help, it's sort of like, this is my only option, I think is what most people think, you know, it's, yeah. it's not, but for me, when you get to a point where you f- look for alternative medicine, yeah. it's, it's you really asking for help and the universe will, will, you know, once you start moving in that direction, it sends energy in that direction, it's that you have to believe oh yeah that you can heal so I feel like so we've been going for a while I feel like we could literally talk all day yeah because <laughs> this was totally. so fun I hope that you feel like this was really um I think so one of the things that just I just released in a podcast a few weeks ago was about a, a childhood trauma that I had that came up that sure um I had pretty much gone through the healing for that just just in the last year less than a year six months but telling the story on the podcast and then pushing post yeah was like literally the most courageous thing I've ever done in my life (laughs) yeah I just got chill I actually felt like something in my heart right now I really because like I'm like just listening to you like I know it's like Yeah. You're apprehensive to it. Well, it was like, okay. And I really honestly feel like that was the last piece of that healing. And so I just, I think that that may be part of what happened today is that conversation. I think it's going to open up so much more. Like you're going to, you know, you're going to move into this space even deeper now that you're willing to tell your story. Yeah. But I also think that it was a step in your healing. I believe so, too. Was, like, saying this and sharing it, you know? So thank you so much for for just showing up for for the the audience and for yourself. It was really beautiful. Um, So I want to, where can people follow you? Got it. So, um... Along with acupuncture, 
um, and functional medicine. I do sound healing too. Sound healing. Sound healing. <laughs> we might have to do another podcast just on yes. how sound healing is like the biz <laughs> Um, But they can follow me on my Instagram. Hey everyone. Sorry that cut off abruptly. If you'd like to follow Dalaram on Instagram, it's DRaistana LAC. So it's D R A I S D N A L A C. I'll link it in the show notes. So just scroll down on your podcast app. Um, we'd love, both of us would love to hear what you thought of the episode. And please let her know what you thought of her sharing her story. I think it was a really powerful one. Thank you for listening. Please share with anyone that you know who might benefit from hearing about how she healed herself. Thank you and Satnam.